I never recognized how much um, eco-anxiety is sort of a new and growing phenomenon. And I first encountered it really with my own kids. And, you know, I have three kids, two are teenagers and one is in his young 20s. And they feel such a sense of sadness, fear and, and anger about sort of at our generation and what we've done to the planet and kind of how we're behaving. Welcome to season four of Confident with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. This season, we'll be talking with some fierce female leaders about things we really care about, including the gender gap and social justice. We hope that these conversations spark your passion and sense of agency to affect positive change. Are you ready? Episode five, things we care about, advocating for climate justice. Welcome, welcome everyone. And happy Earth Day, Olivia. Happy Earth Day. Let's go plant some trees. Yeah. Also, you know what's on my mind is that like we're recording this podcast remotely, but you'll be home from your freshman year in college in just over a week. And I know. my heart is happy with that <laughs> thought. Um, I can't believe you're you're going to have completed your first year of college it's already. Any crazy. any reflections? What's on your mind as you finish that first year? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely the most important thing about your freshman year or really any part of college is just to put yourself out there. I mean, you don't want to you know do too much, but definitely in the beginning of your freshman year, you want to explore different types of clubs, different you know things that the your college puts on um, for freshmen or um, any students in terms of orientation you want to explore all different types of classes I think that the one of the big things about college is just being able to try new things in a way that you've never been able to do before and honestly you probably won't be able to do again after college so just really diving right in and trying to meet new people and do all these different things um, is really one of the most important things. Yeah, and you, you're a marvel, Olivia. I'm so proud of the way you've leaned in and opened yourself to new experiences and meeting new people. Shout out to your roommate from South Africa, Sat. <laughs> um, I just I look at you and I'm I'm just so so darn proud of how much you've grown in the past year. Or so, and I think that's because you put yourself out there and, and you took some risks. So, yeah, kudos definitely. To you for that. Well, I'm excited about today's Earth Day interview with Diana Cap. so let's get into it. So today we are excited to introduce Diana Cap, who is a journalist and author with an MBA from Stanford, who has written about education and entrepreneurism for most of the major media outlets, New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Elle, Marie Claire, you name it, she's written in it. She also has published two novels, Girls Who Run the World and her most recent, Girls Who Green the World, published just in time for Earth Day. Currently, Diana lives in San Francisco. Welcome to Confident and happy Earth Day. So nice to be here, Olivia. It's really fun to be here on a podcast with you and your mom. And we're so excited to have you. So this is so perfect to be interviewing you, Diana, on Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. Happy um, Earth Day. Yeah, this is in, in the release of your book, which is so perfect for to celebrate Earth Day. And we'll be talking about that in a minute. But let's just jump into it. And we always love to start with a fun question. Tell us something that Google doesn't know about you. 
something Google doesn't know about me is that for the past 20 years, I've gotten up pretty much every morning and met a group of 10 women to were a running group. And we call ourselves the EMC, the early morning crew. And it's literally been going for 20 years. We probably meet five mornings a week at 5.30 a.m. at the gate. And I say, I call them the scaffolding that my life hangs on. It's like having a running cup of coffee with people that know you inside and out. And it's so related to this confidence podcast. I feel like for me, where confidence comes from has a lot to do with community and living in community. And I, I just can't stress enough how much it's helped kind of build me as a person and having that kind of consistent communication with women um, who I've grown up with. We've raised our kids together. We're going through all the life stages together. And it's, it's really probably one of the most wonderful parts of my life. Wow, that's amazing. Well, you certainly have earned the title Early Morning Crew yeah. at 5.30 a.m. every morning. Now, I have to ask, are you talking while you're running or is the chat before and after the run? No, we talk the entire time. Okay. We've Over the years, we've gotten slower. And so <laughs> it's very chat friendly. And we once bought a step on this run. That's one of our favorite runs. It's called the Dipsy Steps and it's in Northern California. It's like a famous trail, but we, and we funded this step because they were refurbishing and we put on it E equals MC squared, which was E equals chatting squared was our, um, was our mantra because we chat the entire time. That's so perfect. I love that. That's admirable but that's crazy for a college student live 5 30 a.m i'm not sure you're gonna be making that 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 group no no but that's amazing um so something else admirable about you is your journalism which has taken you from inside san quentin prison to deepest afghanistan and for me, like, this is especially amazing. Um, I was editor-in-chief of my high school newspaper, and I currently write for um, the Daily Pennsylvanian, which is um, Penn's newspaper. So, I mean, your stories are incredible, and it's it's so amazing to see everything that you've done. So could you just tell us about the most thrilling and maybe the most terrifying story that you've covered? So the most thrilling is definitely my trip to Afghanistan. I, um, through a friend of mine, I came in contact with a physician, a British physician who had built 50 schools in far Northern Takar province of Afghanistan. And what was so cool about this woman, Sarah Fain, is that she, she's a physician and she, you know, had her practice, but she decided she sort of wanted a second chapter and it was a little bit related to a divorce and her reinventing herself, but she decided that she would just fundraise for one school in Afghanistan. And she, you know, did really small fundraisers like a garden party with her friends. And she did some talks at her kid's school. And then, you know, maybe they had a bake sale and, after she built the first one, then she decided, okay, I'm going to build the second one. And she went on that way one at a time. And she's now, you know, 
recreated education in an entire province. She's, you know, she created an opportunity for every single child to go to school. And it is, I mean, it's absolutely heartbreaking watching what's happening in Afghanistan right now and kind of the rollback. And what was special about going and doing that reporting trip is that I, I invited my mother to come with me. Um, and so, you know, we went off together and we stayed in these villages in really remote Afghanistan and sort of agricultural part of Afghanistan. And we would, you know, sleep in the hut with the women separated from the men and we would all be on the floor and we'd have these incredible meals and huge platters we'd eat on the ground. And I just learned so much. I'm so inspired by this woman, Sarah, because I just think this idea that you can just start a project so small like that and then just grow it organically and then end up having that kind of impact as just an individual person is, is really incredible to me. That's an incredible story. And I'd love uh, to include that in our show notes to share that with our listeners, but it really speaks to the power of one and the change and the difference that one person can make. And I agree. It's unfortunate that, you know, what's going on with Afghanistan and girls education is kind of moved out of the national headlines, um, the global headlines, but it's, it's, it's a tragedy. Um, so I'd love to put that story in the show notes just to remind people of, of what's, what's going on there. It's, a, it's incredible, very inspiring. Very inspiring. Um, and then, also, and then, then you want me to talk about the most terrifying, and this. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. The most terrifying is, um, and it's probably the most important piece I've ever written. I I wrote um, a long feature that was investigating the suicide clusters in the high schools in Palo Alto. So Palo Alto, which is about forty five minutes from my home and where I went to Stanford. Um, has had two clusters of teens um, jumping in front of the train um, five years apart, each time five students killing themselves from either Gunn High School or Pally. And I tried to write the story the first, after the first set of suicides, and the community was just so um, reluctant and nobody would talk. And then when, when it returned five years later, I, I think they really felt like we need to examine deeply what's going on here and kind of the situation with our youth. And I'm so moved by teens and mental health. And it's probably the area I want to go into next. I want to really deeply explore what's going on um, and how we've gotten to this place where so many young people are feeling such a sense of loneliness and anxiety and depression. And I spent months down in Palo Alto, you know, hanging out in the Starbucks across from these high schools, um, meeting with the kids and just really getting to know them and trying to understand. And it's it's a complicated set of factors and I don't know that I necessarily deciphered everything, but I do think I, I shed some light and that was a really, really meaningful and important and difficult story to write. Yeah, that's a, that's a hard topic and obviously so relevant today with the mental health crisis exacerbated by the pandemic and 
you know, with teen girls specifically, suicide attempts are up over 50% in the past year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's definitely a topic we need to keep writing about and talking about. Um, we need, we need to get the support there for, for, for everyone and our young people, especially. Um, that's, Liv, I know you're, you're seeing the mental health at college. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say that, I mean, both of these topics that you just discussed, girls' education and teen mental health are, I mean, some of the most important and also some of the least talked about. So I think it's incredible that you have like shed such a light onto these topics. Um, and as you mentioned, like sometimes there is resistance and people don't want to talk about it. But the fact that you have tackled these topics head on is I think it's really important and necessary. Thanks. I, it's actually like to almost like a segue to my new book, which is I never recognized how much um, eco anxiety is sort of a new and growing phenomenon. And I first encountered it really with my own kids. And, you know, I have three kids that two are teenagers and one is in his young 20s and they feel such a sense of sadness fear and and anger about sort of at our generation and what we've done to the planet and kind of how we're behaving and i first started looking into this i did a story for a a publication called mindsight news and learned you know how much eco anxiety is becoming sort of a real phenomenon that psychiatrists are encountering there. The American Psychiatric Association is talking about whether it should become listed in the, the diagnostic manual, the DSM, where they, you know, outline what are sort of the criteria for a particular disorder. And it's this sort of sense of existential angst and hopelessness. And a Lancet study was done in 2021 that found that 10,000 youth around the world were surveyed and two thirds of them agreed with the statement, humanity is doomed. And there's also this growing group of young people who were talking about they may not be interested in having children because they are fearful about the future of the planet. And just hearing that, it's just, it really rocks me as a parent, obviously. And, um, I just, I, with this book, I really want to take on this issue of hopelessness and try to turn around that narrative, which I feel like is really taken hold among young people. Like my daughter will say something to me like, mom, big oil is, you know, going to wreck everything and we're all going down in flames. And it's, you know, there's just a sense that of just, you know, doom and I found researching these 34 change makers that are working in every aspect of environmental change, you know, from alternatives to plastic to reducing waste of various kinds and using ugly produce, um, sustainable foods and fashion, clean energy ideas. They are incredibly powerful ideas out there and they are happening at different sizes. Sometimes it's a pilot program that may catch on to something large or it's something like Sunrun where Lynn Jurek has already put solar panels on 600,000 rooftops. 
And hearing those stories, I feel really heartened that we are going to find our way out of this. Um, there's a lot of technology being brought to bear, a lot of really creative people and solution making. And I think we need to take that positive stance because that is what's going to energize us to have an army of young people get engaged in, you know, solutions for the future. I couldn't agree more. And I know that eco anxiety is so real for Gen Z and and Liv, I don't know if you want to, you know, add your thoughts on that, but I think taking the approach of providing some hope and highlighting some of the environmental change makers that are, are making a difference is, is, Brilliant, because right, we know in our news cycle, what is it? There's nine negative news stories for every one positive. And so, yeah. of course, our young people are feeling this doom and gloom and the eco-anxiety. But your book, it shines a light on people actually making a difference, you know, the revolutionaries, if you will, of the environmental movement. Um, I, I just I love that approach. But Liv, I'd love to hear your thoughts on like Gen Z and the, and the eco-anxiety. Like, why, yeah. why do you guys care more about this than that? <laughs> Yeah, what's it like on your campus? Like, what are what's the kind of tone of conversation about it? Yeah, actually, this is really relevant right now because um, currently there is a group um, on my campus called Fossil Free Pen, um, and literally right now, this whole week, um, they're camping out on College Green, which is right in the middle of campus. They have tent set up, um, they have signs set up, and they're basically and they're protesting. I mean, they're sleeping in these tents. You see them a group of people there at any time of day um and they're like trying to make their voice heard and tell Penn that they need to disinvest from the fossil fuel industry they need to provide more um sustainable uh like uh you know ways to exist on campus you know sustainable eating sustainable everything like that um and so it is especially relevant um there are so many people in my generation who care about this because right now, um, I'm sure you know, the UN just released like their most recent climate report. And I mean, it did just emphasize that doom, right? Right now we're looking at our future and I hear people say all the time, like, you know, there's gonna be irreparable damage in five years. Like what's even the point? Like, why, why am I even like, you know, college grades, they kind of sometimes like seem irrelevant when you take a step back and you say, the studies show that our world is literally doomed. You know, that's like what the news cycle is telling us. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that is why we care more because we see that, I mean, what everything is telling us right now and what our current trends is, they're saying that this isn't going to change, you know, Um, and like, this is so much bigger than just one person. But I do think that, I mean, the movement of these small groups from just a, a group on campus to these um, bigger change makers that you're talking about, I mean, there is hope for change. So I think that even with all of this eco anxiety and even with all of this sense of doom, like there is also kind of an underlying hope for change and a desire to make a difference with uh, my peers and people in my generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I watch my own kids and it's, you know, they, they're thinking about like, how can we reduce the amount Mm -hmm. of airline travel that we do? And they're, you know, my son is basically sworn off driving. He bikes absolutely everywhere. Um, They're vegetarians, two of the three of them. Um, 
they, you know, they do, they're changing their own way of living very much though. And they're, and they definitely think about, you know, they don't order from Amazon because they, they don't think that's a good use of energy to be, you know, delivering things to people's homes individually and things like that. So I do feel hopeful. I feel like young people are, they are very much awake on this issue and, um, I, I open my book, though, with a story that I that it would be great to tell on this podcast and I think is really important for young people to know. And that is this story of a um, MIT professor, now MIT professor, but at the time when this story took place was the mid-1980s, and she was a young scientist at NOAA, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Association. And in the mid 80s, the environmental issue of the day that everyone was fully panicked about was the ozone hole. And, you know, we talked about it the way we talk about climate change. Now, there was, you know, big articles on the front page of the New York Times that said, you know, we're all going to fry, there's going to be cancer rates are going to soar and cataracts. And, you know, because this layer that it blocks out the ultraviolet rays had a hole in it. It was returning every year. It was growing every ever larger and nobody understood why. So this meeting of atmospheric scientists was convened in Boulder. And this young scientist, Susan Solomon, shared some really new ideas about what might be happening. And she understood that um, a chemical reaction was happening on these the surface of these polar clouds and it was causing rates of chlorine to be produced in a chemical cycle. And she went down to Antarctica. She did the research standing on the roof of the McMurdo research station. It would be like minus 40 degrees. She said her eyes would literally freeze shut. She had cut a hole, sawed a hole in the roof of this research station so that she could let light in through the roof and into this spectrograph that measured light rays to measure the content of chemicals in the atmosphere. And when she found chlorine levels were a hundred times normal, she sounded the alarm on this product that we were using a lot of a chemical called chlorofluorocarbons, CFCs, that were in things like hairspray and deodorant and refrigerators. And th that produced an emergency meeting in Montreal, every nation on earth signed on to a treaty called the Montreal Protocol. And it's the only time in history that every nation on earth has come together. We banned CFCs and now this problem is, a, is history. Like this, the problem is truly solved. And I think looking at, you know, we've done this before. We have come together and kind of managed ourselves before, and we can do that again. And I think that's such a powerful story to kind of open the book and just share with young people who, you know, I've been going around talking to schools and I asked them, how many of you know about the ozone hole and that whole situation? And maybe like, you know, a tenth of the hands will go up. It's not even taught in, in science classes at this time. It's such yeah. an instructive story. I love that. And if like she can like do the work where her eyes are literally freezing shut, the rest of us surely can stop drinking plastic water bottles for goodness. <laughs> but and it's such an 
perspective story about how we can come together and solve this. And, and again, hope the book is girls who green the world. And one of the best book reviews I read about it is that this book is an oasis of hope, a women to women playbook to the contemporary environmental movement. I love that because we all need that hope and we all need the instruction of these stories and these change makers, because we, we can all in our individual ways, make a positive change. And I'd love just to get your ideas on that. So today, tomorrow is Earth Day, April 22nd. It's really a day where we need to take pause and thank Mother Earth. Um, but I know you've got tons of ideas about how young people can get involved. Um, maybe just throw out a few ideas for young people who are looking for to do something positive on Earth Day. Yeah. So one thing I, I would recommend you do is if you go to my Instagram, which is at girls who books, I put up this link tree and I'm starting like a, a ever growing list. And I have about 150 ideas of things that young people can do. And it's everything from, you know, different ways and organizations where you can plant trees, which is really important. Um, minimizing the amount of meat and dairy that you eat, um, fixing things instead of buying new and probably most importantly, and I'm sharing this message everywhere is please young people get involved in these upcoming midterm elections. Research who are the climate friendly candidates and go to work for them, whether it's writing postcards or doing phone banking, because we all have a role to play. And those are the big levers is having people in government who can make policy that makes sense. And all these individual actions, individual action does matter and we all have a role to play. But the truth is that political action is our best tool. And you can also do things like join existing movements like the Sunrise Movement and 350.org, which are both great worldwide efforts and they're both gaining a lot of power and, you know, you don't need to reinvent something. You can just add more power to something that's already established. Um, so those are those are some ideas that I have for you. And, and if you think that your individual efforts don't matter, I'll share a statistic that I learned that's amazing, which is if everyone in America ate one fewer hamburger each week, we would that would be the equivalent of taking 10 million gas fueled cars off the road. Wow. So, wow. you know, that's not a hard lift. Um, meat reduction is a really important um, step that we all can take. We don't have to quit it altogether. Even if we just reduce the amount of meat that we're eating, the gas that um, cows put off when they belch and, um, is called methane. And that is the most powerful greenhouse gas. And it holds heat in the atmosphere at 30 times the rate of carbon dioxide. So it's, you know, it's really, really problematic. And then there's other issues, you know, we're burning down rainforests to have enough farmland to feed these animals. So kind of at every step along the way, it's, it's really, really problematic. Yeah, those are amazing ideas. And I especially do want to highlight how you mentioned getting involved in midterm elections, because I think a lot of the times we do talk about um, these more like, you know, individual actions that we can take um, and ignore, you know, how the connection between like political involvement 
and, um, you know, really fixing this issue of climate change, because you're right, without leaders and without policy that are furthering our efforts to stop climate change, it's going to be hard to get anything done, right? So I think that was a really important um, action that you called upon. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard to get anything done in sort of the short time frame that we are that we are under right now. And interesting, like in the theme of hope, like you mentioned the the recent um, IPCC report that came out and kind of how there's been a lot of news narrative of doom. But I had a long conversation with this MIT scientist, Susan Solomon, the, the woman from the ozone, and she read the report and she and I have been working on an op-ed together. And she has a really positive spin on what came out of that IPCC report. She said, for the first time ever, the well, in the last decade, the cost of solar and wind energy has come down 80%. And it's literally less expensive to use these kind of clean, sustainable forms of energy than it is to to do any other to do it any other way. And she has other examples of, you know, how we're moving forward on electric cars, and you know how GM has announced that after I think it's twenty twenty five or twenty thirty, they are not going to produce any more gas um, vehicles. So those are really big steps. I in I live in California and so much of the nation follows California and we are putting in really strict vehicle emission standards in the state and that often is what becomes kind of the the guiding light for other places because our economy is the 10th largest in the world and so it, it actually really really matters what we do in California. Well, I can't wait to read your op-ed on that report. Um, Again, just focusing on hope. And also, I know you talk so much about the power of the pen and using the written word for positive change. So I I, I can't wait to read everything that you write. Um, I could talk about this all day. And Liv, I do have to say, I'm like just smiling with pride at just like hearing you talk about your passion for (laughs) for climate justice as well. Uh, But we always like to wrap up our podcast, Diana, with just a few fun questions so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Um, And our first fun question is, can you finish the sentence? My mantra is. Less is more. That's a good one. Yeah. It's powerful, especially when it comes to climate change. I think at the like very heart of everything we're facing right now is we just consume way too much of everything. And we just treat clothes as disposables. We, you know, we waste a lot of food. We take more than we need. We get too much satisfaction from, you know, buying new things. We could gift experiences instead of always buying things for people. Um, so I think it's, that's a really good, important, and it's always in writing that too, is like a trick that I've always learned, which is you want to say more, but if you kind of pair out a lot of the excess words, your, your words mean a lot more. Yeah. And the second question is who is the leader you admire most? Um, I think. I'll say Madeleine Albright, and I'm I'm really mourning the loss of Madeleine Albright. I was um, so lucky to have her endorse my first book, Girls Who Run the World, and she's a complete hero of mine. Um, if you haven't read her 
her autobiography, you should pick it up because it's, she didn't become a career person until she had already had her children. She's has this incredible story of kind of how she has handled the gender politics and working on the world stage. And then she's just funny and really modest and warm. And I don't know, I just, I like everything about her. Yeah, we, the world lost an icon and a, a real true leader um, with Mendel and Albright. And our last question is, what are you obsessed with right now? I'm pretty obsessed with teen mental health. I really am. I'm I'm really, really interested in, in understanding how we're going to provide resources. We, we're, we have so much demand and it's so difficult to get help and how we're going to solve that problem and make sure that young people feel like they have someone to talk to and they can afford it and they're getting the kind of help that they need is there's not no better investment we could make for the future of the planet than to make sure that our young people are are you know healthy and can lead you know satisfying and productive lives we need them to feel that way and it's we're really in a crisis yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Diana, it's an honor. You're an incredible human being. Most people say I'm obsessed with Wordle or Netflix. <laughs> um, I do really like spin drift and I drink it all the time. <laughs> That's one thing like okay, it's, okay. it's superficial. <laughs> Diana, you are amazing. The book is Girls Who Green the World. Um, we're so honored to have talked to you to celebrate Earth Day. And thank you for all you're doing for climate justice. Um, and we'll include uh, information in the show notes on your Instagram, your list of ideas for Earth Day and every day. Um, and thank you so much. Thank you. And Olivia, it's so nice to hear from you. And I would just say to young people, just like we wanted to hear Olivia on the podcast today, it's like your voices are the most important voices and everyone wants to hear from you. So please use your pen and your voice and speak up and let us know what's on your mind because that's how we're going to solve the problems and have a great Earth Day and every day. 